0: We have uh, the honor of having a really good speaker for us this morning. He's my friend. His name is Pastor Ed Choi. And uh, I met Ed a, a couple of years ago when he was a pastor here to the Rainier Valley. But uh, since getting to know him, um, he's just a man that I really just respect uh, his love for the word of God, uh, respect his, uh, his passion and integrity uh, in preaching. Um, and he's just become a really good friend. His, his daughter, actually, uh, and um, I'm sorry, his son. And my daughter actually goes to the same school. They're in the same grade, so that's pretty cool. I get to hear about all the stuff that really goes on in a pastor's family. All right, that's what happens. But uh, another thing I really respect about Ed was he was an Army chaplain as well for 13 years uh, in the Army. And currently he is the adult ministry pastor at Highlands Community Church. So, Church, would you give a big warm welcome to Pastor Ed Choi? Good morning, Church. Could anybody tell me what's the significance uh, of October thirty-first? Okay, but um, it is the five hundred year celebration or observation of the Reformation movement. Um, so in sem- uh, so, so in fifteen seventeen, on October thirty-first, which is we call it the Church Reformation Day, marks the event when Martin Luther posted his ninety-five thesis, on the doors of the church, in, in English it's Wittenberg, but in German it's called Wittenberg, they pronounce W with a V, that launched the Protestant movement, which was fueled by the doctrine of justification. The doctrine of justification. My understanding is that Pastor Roy has been going through the book of Romans, and if you were here last week, that what was taught and preached was that Abraham, remember, in chapter 3 and 4 in chapter 4 gives an example of the life of Abraham. Abraham believed in God. And what happened? It was credited to him as righteousness. And that act of God, of giving somebody his righteousness to an unrighteous person, is the doctrine of justification. So this doctrine that we see in Romans chapter 11 and 4 that was established was fueled, right? And so the Reformation movement was fueled by this doctrine, that basically that God justifies the sinner by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And what this doctrine did was this. It challenged the theology and the practice of the sale of indulgences. This This was a practice that the Catholic Church practice within basically taught that a person could purchase their forgiveness or to go to heaven, right, or the forgiveness of their sins by giving one's wealth to the church. And so the doctrine of justification was a complete contrast to that teaching. Now, see, you and I could take for granted of this doctrine, Right. But even today, people are still trying to some way, somehow, earn their forgiveness from a holy God through some works of effort or some works of sacrifice or, or being, trying to be a good person. And the doctrine of justification was a complete contrast. And through Luther's preaching and teaching of the true gospel of grace, The Reformation movement basically held what we call the five truths or the five solaces. Now, I'm not that great with Latin, but let me help you out here. There there were five solaces that the Reformation movement basically was infused by this doctrine, by the teaching and the preaching of Martin Luther. The first one was sola sculptora, or basically what? Scripture alone. The second was sola gratia, basically means grace alone. Sola fida, or faith alone. Sola Christus, Christ alone. And sola de gloria, glory to God alone. And so like I mentioned, Romans chapter 3 and 4 focuses on the sola fida, faith alone, right? Abraham believed in God. What happened? God credited to him, not because Abraham earned it, But he believed in God, so God gave him righteousness. And basically what? The just shall live by faith, which is the doctrine of justification. So today, we'll see what the doctrine of justification entails practically for you and I as believers. For you and I who have put our hope and trust in Jesus Christ. See, for Martin Luther... The doctrine of justification, it was the greatest truth and the cornerstone of all Christian doctrine. Luther wrote this. The righteousness that God gives freely by his grace to people who don't have a righteousness of their own is an alien righteousness. A righteousness that belongs properly to someone else. It's a righteousness that is outside of us. Basically in Latin, extra nos, right? Namely, it's foreign. It's not of your own, but it's foreign. And, and Luther is referring to the righteousness of Christ. He continues to say this. When I discovered that, what? The doctrine of justification, he said, I was born again of the Holy Spirit. And the doors of paradise swung open and I walked through it. And so this morning... Looking at Romans chapter 5, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. I'd like to walk through with you some of, some, some of the practical truth from the doctrine of dissertation, what it means to us as Christians. So let's read the text first. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. It says this, Therefore, since we have been, what? Justified by, what? Faith. We have peace with God because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person or a good person. Though perhaps for a good person, one should dare even to die. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified, again this word, justified by his blood or by his death, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So from verses one through eleven, there are seven things I want to quickly go through with you and walk through with you what we see here. Okay? First, justification declare peace. Second, justification, granted grace. Third, justification produced hope. Fourth, justification display power. Fifth, justification demonstrated peace. Love, and six, justification appeased wrath, and number seven, justification brought reconciliation. And basically, this is just the tip of the iceberg of this truly remarkable doctrine, what we call the doctrine of justification. And I titled my message to you, justified or justification by faith. And all this, all this is counted to us who what? who believe in him, who raised him from the dead, Jesus Christ the Lord, who was delivered up to us, I'm sorry, delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So first thing, justification, declare peace. Look at verse 1 again, chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So chapter 5 launches Basically with the declaration of an objective legal truth that all Christians are what? Justified by faith. That the righteous God declares the sinner as righteous once for all. Based on who and what and whose work. Based on Christ and his finished work on the cross. That the outcome of this is that the believer in Jesus Christ is no longer under judgment and the wrath of God, but now have peace with God. And this is not some like subjective feeling, you know, like people want peace all the time. Hippies want to smoke pot and just want to get peace. No, this is not some subjective feeling or mental state of mind. This is an objective reality that when an individual puts their hope and trust and faith in Jesus, God instantly, automatically, at that moment, at that point, declares that person what? Righteous. Justified. Whew, I'm getting a little excited here. <laughs> Justification, again, is not, a, is not only a legal declaration, but it's also in like, sort of like an official treaty. It's like when two nations that have been war And then they declare peace with one another. Justification by faith says even though God and man was at war with each other, God was able to make peace with man through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, and forgives that individual of all of their horrible sins committed against a holy and absolutely, completely righteous God. So what happened? What happened to us through justification? It declared peace. For you and I. Second, justification, access, grace. Look at verse 2. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope for the glory of God. And because of justification, we have now what? Access by faith into this grace. Anybody have a background of Jewish background here? Uh, I'm just, just asking if you're a jew this means a lot more than you and i who are gentiles remember in the old testament no individual could just walk into the presence of god that's why they had this elaborate system of of tabernacle and and temple and and only the priest or the high priest could go into the holy place and then Offer sacrifice of animals, of, of blood of goats and sheep, and by the, by the millions of animals that were slaughtered, representing the forgiveness of sin. And then the, the high priest, only the high priest, could walk into the most holy of, a holy of all in the temple or the tabernacle. What Paul is saying. As a Jew, right, he was a Jew converted by the grace of God and the power of Jesus when he met him on the road to Damascus. Man, when he understood this truth, it revolutionized his whole perspective. It revolutionized his whole paradigm. It shattered his whole view of how to access God. He realized that his faith in God gave him access to the most holy of holies. What Paul is saying here is that through justification and because we are declared righteous now, you and I, right, no matter rich or poor, no matter educated or uneducated, whether Asian or Caucasian. Come on now. What Paul is saying that we have access to this grace. We have access to the presence of God. Hebrews says that let us come to the throne of grace in the time of need, that you and I can receive what? Mercy and Grace. This grace in which we stand refers to the absolutely secure position of the believer in Christ Jesus. Let me read you some stuff. Just, just a few things about what we have through this grace because of justification. Ephesians chapter 1. just chapter 1 here. Paul lists a few things. Just a few things. Let me read it here. That believers have an access in Christ. Paul says, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every, what, every, what, every, not some, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, we, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. I just list some few things with you right now. What we have access to because of justification in his grace. That we have an inheritance that's eternal. And that Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 5 verse 2 that the hope of the glory of God refers to the guarantee promised that all those who are in Christ will be glorified, and will be made perfect at the end. A hope that produces rejoicing in the present. Being justified through faith, what do we have? We have access to God's grace and every spiritual blessings in Christ. What is that saying? Is that in Christ, we have complete sufficiency because we have access to his grace through the doctrine of justification. Number three, justification produces hope. Look at Romans 5, verse 3 and 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, think about it. Think about the world we live in today. Today in our world, hope is a precious commodity. Everywhere you look in this world and all the hope this world promises are fading and sinking, whether it's the economy, whether it's our politicians, national security, our cities, our neighborhoods, our families, the entire world are in distress and suffering. Oh, by the way, Jesus even said what? Sufficient for the day Is its own trouble. Jesus was not naive. He wasn't living in a bubble. He understood that the world was full of trouble. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said this, in the world you will have what? Tribulation. You will suffer. But he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. So rejoice in our sufferings. That's what Paul is saying, that we can rejoice in our sufferings in the midst of our affliction in the risk of our pain, our loss, loss, our struggles, because ultimately God in his sovereignty, God in his power is able to use our sufferings to produce endurance and produce character and character produce hope. Let me tell you something. This might this will shock you. God is not concerned about your happiness. Oh, my goodness. Right? The whole constitution is about the pursuit of happiness of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. This whole American dream, this whole system is about seeking happiness. Listen, church, God is not predominantly concerned about your happiness. He's more concerned about your holiness. That's why God uses suffering and pain and hardship to produce in us character and holiness in our lives. Let me tell you something. If you live a life of philosophy of want to be happy, you'd be the saddest person in the world. Because there's no happiness in this world, only in Christ, in the life after. And isn't it true that when we go through difficult and painful things in our life, we realize how insufficient we are, and we see how sufficient he is? You see, God is more, again, concerned about our character and our holiness, and to create in us to be more like Jesus Christ. That's why Paul goes on to say, hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out, poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so church, you and I, we have no reason for shame or fear on the day of judgment because we know we belong to God and we have received his love through the Holy Spirit and that it's through faith in Christ we are justified, which produces what? Hope. All right, I got to move on here. I heard that I had to cut my message today because we got a lot of things going on today. The fourth thing, justification, display power. Look at verse 6 of Romans 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Here, the word weak conveys the, the ideal. Basically, it's not physical weakness, but a lack of moral strength or the spiritual ability to save oneself. Paul is saying, because of sin, right, which shattered the image of God in us and stained it, all of us, it is impossible for all of us to save ourselves. Sin crippled and handicapped all humanity, but Christ died for the ungodly. You know, I got a friend of mine um, at, at this church that I serve. He has a brother who was born physically handicapped. I believe he's like 39 years old now. And his parents still have to do everything for him: bathe him, clothe him, feed him. And I you know that, you know, and, and I cannot imagine how difficult the parent, the sacrifice, the work to raise a child from birth to even at this time, to care for this individual, their son. And I know they do it by love. I know they do, do it uh, because they're parents and they love their child. Okay? But you know, what? as I think about that, we are, all of us, are in one way or another spiritually handicapped. Like we can't save ourselves. See, you see if you grew up in a church like I did, okay, you might not really understand that. Because you were taught to be good. You are taught to morals and ethics and values. But the reality is this, church. You and I are weak. We are powerless to save ourselves. That's why the Bible says that this is the good news. Christ came into the world at the right time in history. And at the right time in your life, in my life, God came and saved sinners. So, the, so, the, so Christ's death, And resurrection is the power to redeem and transform sinners. Colossians chapter 2, verse 12 to 15 says that what? That while we were still weak, right? And basically 13 says this, and you who were dead, dead, spiritually, morally dead in your trespasses. God made us alive together with him. God breathed life to us. See, that's why I, I, that's why I so believe in the doctrine of election and predestination. Now, I don't, I don't have time to go through that whole doctrine there. Because if, if you've ever been to a funeral, if you've ever seen a dead person, you can yell and scream at that person, but that person cannot respond to your screaming and yelling. Something miraculous, miraculous must happen. And so spiritually, we cannot wake us up ourselves by being morally good or by being a nice person or 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 some behavioral modification or trying to do it by. It takes the sovereign work and the grace of God while we were weak in our sin. That God intervenes into our lives. God speaks truth in our lives, and then we are able to see Christ as who he is, and thus we become born again. See, that, that's, that's hard to receive. Right, I, I'm, I'm, right now, some of you are right now say, I am not that bad. I'm a pretty good person. I go to school. I get pretty good grades. I don't smoke. I don't have sex. I'm a pretty good person why we do that is because we justify or we compare ourselves to those who are morally depraved than you are but the reality is this god sees all of us weak and unable to save ourselves that's why the doctrine of justification displayed power because christ came and died for you and i two more points let me wrap this up here Justification demonstrated love. Look at verse 7 of Romans chapter 5. It for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person. One would dare even to die. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See that? It doesn't say that Christ died for us because we were good. It doesn't say that we got our lives straightened out. And so Christ died for us. But it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So here in verses 7 and 8 of Romans chapter 5, Paul grounds the subjective experience of God's love to the objective work of Christ on the cross. And he says occasionally a person might, right, sacrifice themselves for a good person, a righteous person. You know, as Pastor Roy mentioned, that I, I served in the Army as a chaplain, and uh, I was deployed twice to Iraq and once to Afghanistan, and I've seen some phenomenal things for soldiers do. But I had a soldier, his name is Ross McGinnis, while he was in Iraq in 2016. He received a Medal of Honor. Medal of Honor, for those who don't know, is the, is the highest military award awarded for a person who commits acts of valor above and beyond the call of duty. He threw himself in a grenade to save four of the soldiers who were in the Humvee. And you ask anyone, you ask anyone, you read the history of Medal of Honors, and you ask him, you know, if they're, if they're alive t- today, that you would ask them, why, why would you do something like that? And you know what? 99.9% of the time, they say, because my love for my fellow brothers or sisters in arms. But see here in verses 7 and 8, Paul is stating something truly remarkable: that God's love is entirely different than human love. Why? For Christ did not die for the righteous or the lovable, but for the ungodly, the unrighteous. Actually, the unlovable. Now, Pastor, I don't know if Pastor Roe will tell you this or not, okay? As pastors, we are called to love everyone but we don't like everyone you see the difference see we think liking somebody is loving somebody that's the world standard of love the biblical view the biblical standard of love is li- loving somebody even if they're not likable and christ loved us not because there was something lovable about ourselves or lackable about ourselves or we were some special or so, or, or because you're a snowflake. But he loved us because, because God is love. It was God's love that motivated his son to die for us and his justification that demonstrated the love of God. Finally, the seventh point. Whew, we got through this pretty good, huh? Verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Christians are now justified by virtue of what? Not not who you are or what I am, by the virtue of Christ's blood. That his blood was shed in his death on the cross. And what did it do? It appeased the wrath of God. God's wrath and judgment was satisfied by Christ's sacrificial death on behalf of all humanity. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 it says this, He, Christ, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our own, but also for the sins of the world. Man, Pastor, I'm using some big words today. Uh, not because I'm trying to sound intelligent, because I'm not that intelligent. But basically the word propitiation means that his death removes the wrath of God because it takes away sin. It means that God, through his son's death on the cross, was a means to save us from the righteous judgment, the wrath of God. And as the Bible says, as... John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God who comes that takes away sin and removes the wrath of God. Let me, let me wrap it up here, okay? Let me conclude this, okay? Going back to the Reformation movement that we, the church, celebrate on October 31st. For five hundred years, the Reformation movement, and we have been part of this Reformation movement, of the doctrine of justification. Martin Luther talks about the great exchange. This is what he's referring to. And what he meant when he said the the great exchange, right? The gospel, the gospel is that great exchange. Let me explain what he's saying here, okay? Basically, the great exchange is this. We exchange or trade in our unrighteousness to Christ, and Christ gives his righteousness to us, right? And Christ takes our unrighteousness, and he bore the full wrath and the judgment of God on the cross. Woo. And when you put your hope and trust in the cross and owning the cross and the finished work on the cross that Christ paid, that he took your unrighteousness and put it upon himself, right, and you trust in that, and God gives us his righteousness, you and I have been declared righteous. That is the doctrine of justification. God declares us just because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. So today I ask you, if you never put your hope in that trust, in that truth, I would ask you that that make that exchange. It's a good deal. It's a great deal. That we give our unrighteousness to him and he gives us his righteousness and he reconciles us as verse 10 says here for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to god by the death of his son much more now that we are reconciled we are now brought together we were separated there was there was a chasm but because of christ he reconciles us and shall we be saved by his life more than that we also rejoice in god through our lord jesus christ through whom we have now received reconciliation, which is the doctrine of justification. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you that we stand before you, not because of our own righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Christ. And as Martin Luther explained, that we had the wonderful privilege to exchange our unrighteousness with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we prepare our hearts, as we prepare our minds, and as we search our lives before coming to the Lord's table, Lord, the bread and the wine reminds us, Lord, again, the wonderful truth that it is your blood, it is your body that was broken. That was able to declare us righteous and justify us before you. So we thank you, Lord, and we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray.